prayer at church. Will you all pray with me one more time? God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. A reading from the Psalms, Psalm 137. Alongside Babylon's streams, there we sat down, crying because we remembered Zion. We hung our lyres up in the trees there because that's where our captors asked us to sing. Our tormentors requested songs of joy. Sing us a song about Zion, they said. But how could we possibly sing the Lord's song on foreign soul? Jerusalem, if I forget you, let my strong hand wither. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth. If I don't remember you, if I don't make Jerusalem my greatest joy. Lord, remember what the Edomites did on Jerusalem's dark day. Rip it down, rip it down, all the way to its foundations, they yelled. Daughter Babylon, you destroyer, a blessing on the one who pays you back the very deed you did to us, a blessing on the one who seizes your children and smashes them against the rock. The human body has an incredible capacity for the amount of emotions that we each experience. When was the last time you experienced a deep emotional response? Maybe it was a tear-inducing belly laugh. Maybe it was sheer paralyzing fear. Maybe it was raw, uninhibited pain. Many of us are familiar with the innumerable emotions we can each experience during the course of our life. Our emotions dictate how we remember certain things, and they predict how we will react to similar events in the future. Our son, Miles, is now 19 months old, and I cannot talk about emotions without my mind immediately flashing to him. We have been in and out of quarantine during his two years of life way more than we could have imagined. Uh, he was born when the pandemic happened, so he does not know life before then. Uh, it's become quite a blur to us as well. On any given day, Miles can have five to 10 meltdowns with screaming and crying, as exhibited in this haircut. And on that very same day, Miles can also have five to 10 moments of uncontrollable giggling where he struggles to catch his breath. He's so happy. Tears and laughs interchangeably all day long. While toddlers are an extreme example of emotions, I found that especially these past few years, I too have an unbelievable capacity for the number of emotions I experience in a single day. Humans are complicated. We are complex. 
we are unique. This morning, we continue our sermon series with our third week in, I'm sorry, what? We're taking a closer look at those unsettling passages found in our Bible. These are all standalone sermons, but when you use them together, we hope that they will give everyone a full picture on how we interpret scripture and how we as United Methodists see them. That is what we talked about during week one. We talked about the United Methodist and how we use the quadrilateral to enhance our understanding of scripture. Last week, like I mentioned, Reagan was here and she took us deeper into this idea by looking at a passage from 2 Kings that included bears mauling some men who were making fun of the prophet. If you're interested, go back. You can actually listen to all of these at any time. We talked about those quirky characters in the Bible and how even they have something to offer each of us. Today, we will focus on Psalm 137, that passage you heard just a few minutes ago. We will take a look at how human emotions are presented throughout Scripture and what we can learn from them. One of the biggest things I struggle with when I read through the Old Testament is the vengeance and the violence that seems so prevalent. These acts are usually associated with deep moments of pain, and it can be hard to disassociate one from the other, which leads us to ask ourselves, do we need to disassociate them? Can we acknowledge the deep pain of humanity and the thoughts and cries that pain leads to even when they're disturbing. In order for us to truly take a closer look at the 137th Psalm, we are going to need to have some context. And we're also going to break it down into a few verses at a time. So maybe it's a little easier to digest what the psalmist is telling us. And as we look at these many emotions experienced by the psalmist and the Israelites collectively, we also have to consider how important their history is to the people they are, their traditions, their rituals, their stories. They all point back to their identity, to who they are. As we break down our passage, I want us all to pay attention and listen for the word remember. It's used throughout the reading, and it is an important motivator behind the Israelites' emotions and their actions. Let's start again, just with verses 1 through 4. Alongside Babylon's streams, there we sat down, crying because we remembered Zion. We hung our lyres up in the trees there because that's where our captors asked us to sing. Our tormentors requested songs of joy. Sing us a song about Zion, they said. But how could we possibly sing the Lord's song on foreign soil? This psalm is written after Jerusalem is conquered by the Babylonians. The Israelites, most of them at least, have been exiled from their homes. They've been taken to another land. 
Not only are most of them taken, but they are ridiculed and mistreated on their journey to exile. The conquerors wanted them to sing about their homeland, even as their homeland was stripped right in front of their eyes. This portion of the psalm is a collective remembering of their home. When the Israelites say these words, they are lamenting for all that they've lost. Lamenting is biblical. Crying out, acknowledging hurt, and marking those painful moments. Act. It's a holy act. When we take a deeper look at scripture, we must remember the humanity of the people within the pages. They are moved by their emotions and they experience hard things. The people often cry out in anguish. They are taken from their promised land and they're mocked along the way. The first act of remembering in this 137th Psalm is a call to remember that pain and loss that the Israelites have experienced. The psalmist continues with the next two verses, five and six. Jerusalem, if I forget you, let my strong hand wither. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I don't remember you, if I don't make Jerusalem my greatest joy. The language here in this reading focuses, it shifts from the original focus on we, the Israelites, to the personal I of the psalmist. The writer fears that they will forget their homeland and the joy that came from those days that they were in Jerusalem. If you have ever lost a loved one, the emotion expressed here may ring true for you. When we lose someone we love, many of us worry we may forget what they truly looked like or what their voice sounded like or how their personality was expressed. We attach meaning to those things, and we fear that if we forget those things, we will in turn forget about the person. In the same way, after a deep loss, many of us find ourselves feeling guilty when we have a new happy memory without our loved one, or when we begin to go about our daily routines. For better or worse, those are a big part of experiencing grief, finding space to remember, and finding space to continue to move forward. Not to move on, but just to move in a new way without our loved one. While the psalmist language is extreme, let my hand wither and my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth, the meaning behind that probably resonates with some of us. This second act of remembering is tied deep to literally remembering the land of Jerusalem and everything that involves the traditions, the rituals, the history, 
the psalmist feels as if they are so tied to their identity as an Israelite that they would rather lose their hand and their tongue, two things that are invaluable to a psalmist. This is another example of deep despair and lament tied to a desire to remember where they came from. Finally, our passage ends with maybe the most unsettling part and what truly makes it one of those unsettling passages. Verses 7 through 10, Lord, remember what the Edomites did on Jerusalem's dark day. Rip it down, rip it down. All the way to its foundations, they yelled, Daughter Babylon, you destroyer, a blessing on the one who pays you back the very deed you did to us, a blessing on the one who seizes your children and smashes them against the rock. While the other two sections we read dealt with the Israelites and the psalmist remembering their pain and remembering their land of Jerusalem, this ending portion of Psalm 137 begs God to remember the terrible things done to them and for God to act accordingly. The Israelites call for some heavy, heavy retribution in the name of justice. As I read these words, I can't help but go back to that quote I shared during week one. For those of you who were not with us, this is from Sarah Bessie. She writes, if a story upsets or disrupts you, let it disrupt you. It should. But then, get curious. This is one of those passages that disrupts me. I don't know that kind of anger. I do not understand the anger expressed here in those last verses. But when I take a breath, and when I get curious about this passage, I'm able to acknowledge some other things that I don't know either. I don't know what it's like for my home to be conquered and for me to be forced into exile in a strange land where I'm abused, where I'm mocked, where I'm stripped of my identity as a human being and as a community of faith. If we are to be people who do not check our brains at the doors of the church, then we have to come to terms with this very real reaction of the Israelites. Often when we are hurt so deeply, aren't there moments and times, even the briefest ones, where we maybe want others to hurt too? Especially those who have inflicted pain upon us. These are humans that we're reading about. The Israelites, the psalmist, they are not divine. They are far from perfect. They succumb to feelings and instincts just as we all do. That is one of the most unsettling things about Scripture. It's made up of recounts and stories of people just like us. 
people who make mistakes, people who experience deep pain, people who have beating hearts in their chest, just like us. The 137th Psalm, this unsettling passage teaches us what it means to feel real human emotions. And it demonstrates to us how important it is to remember certain events, certain situations, certain people. Three times the Israelites and the psalmist call for a remembrance. They lament that they must remember the pain they felt. The psalmist cries out that he must remember his homeland. And then they demand God to remember what was done to God's people. All three of these are emotional remembrances and each are important and valid to the Israelites because they know through it all, they are God's people. I can't explain away the violence and vengeance painted by the psalmist in that last verse. I don't much want to either. We are given a glimpse into the deepest, darkest part of another soul. It's unsettling and it's important. There is importance in remembering. There is meaning to experience every moment fully along with all the terrible emotions that may be involved. The good news we glean here, because friends, there is a good news, is that God does remember. God remembers every moment, every moment we experience individually and collectively. God is with us in the complicated moments that involve tragedies, tragedies like this exile. God sees the deepest, darkest parts of our soul, and still, God loves us. We have had dark moments. We will continue to have dark moments. There will be some times in life where we'd rather forget and others that we cling to like a lifeboat. Each is an important step along our journey. However dark or bright our road may be, may we continue to approach these unsettling passages head on and rest in the assurance that God is by our side that Jesus walked a difficult path as a human too, and that the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf when we can't find the words ourselves. May we remember the ever-present hope God grants us, especially in those dark days. Amen.